For our second message today, we have a sermon from Mr. Lawrence Gregory entitled, Are We Ready? Mr. Gregory. From childhood, we use a word common to all of us, yet full of meaning. It is even used in the Bible 100 times. Are you ready? See what I mean? We use this a lot. Ready, aim, fire. Ready or not, here I come. Are you ready yet? I'm ready. It's all ready. Supper's ready. And so forth. And on and on and on. We use that so much. And yet it is a word of deep significance and power. The definition for ready from the dictionary is fit for immediate use. Try to remember these if you can. Prompt in perception. Prompt in performance or action. Willing. Inclined. At hand. Convenient. On the point or brink to be followed by two. To be ready. Something about to happen, followed by two. Now, I want to examine a few of these words that uh, we see in the scriptures today and see if there is any word of um, encouragement and correction, inspiration for us as we consider some of these verses from the Word of God. Obviously, we won't be able to fully examine the full context surrounding all of the verses in particular uh, references, but let's go first to uh, a reference in the Old Testament to the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 15, and uh, verse 15. Let me read this and then just a, a few moments of background information here. And the king's servants said unto the king, this is to David, Behold, your servants are ready to do whatsoever my lord the king shall appoint. Now what's surrounding, what's happening here is his beautiful, handsome son, Absalom, has carried away with his beauty and his influence and his importance and self-aggrandizement and he is trying to wrest the kingdom from David and set up his own kingship. Contrary to this. And so David... Uh, let's just pick up here with the paragraph in verse 13. And there came a messenger to David saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. And David said unto all his servants that were with him at Jerusalem, Arise, and let us flee, for we shall not else escape from Absalom. Make speed to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly, and bring evil upon us, and smite the city with the edge of the sword. And then... Of course, they fled. And there's more to the story. You can read the rest of it and the challenges to other followers to follow David and to leave with him and go out into the wilderness. 
so that he wouldn't fight against his own son for the throne. But here's the, the question in verse 15 from the statement of his servants. Behold, your servants are ready to do whatsoever my Lord the King shall appoint. The question comes to us to ask ourselves, are we ready immediately, promptly to do what God expects of us? Are we loyal and faithful in the opportunities, the obligations, the responsibilities, the duties? Every one of us ought to check ourselves and say, how does this Old Testament example in Scripture that occurred uh, 3,000 years ago apply to me? And can I take this personally here? And how am I ready to do immediately what God tells me? Well, let's pass on to another uh, Scriptures. And like I said, uh, instead of taking a lot of time and coordinating a lot of the surrounding verses and the context, I'm just going to leave that and go on to the New Testament. Now let's go to the book of uh, 1 Peter. Chapter 1, verse 5. And it seems like I remember sometime back... Uh, uh, Curtis had a sermonette uh, on this, and we've heard this so much in our life here that uh, we want to uh, look at a couple of things here in Peter. Beginning uh, uh, in verse 4, uh, there's some long sentences here, but we'll begin in verse 4. He's talking about uh, our salvation to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now notice several things here. He's talking about the security of our inheritance of our salvation. Remember the treasure that we lay up that's reserved and the word in here in verse 4 is the same as the Greek word by in verse 5 reserved by heaven. So our reward is reserved for us in heaven. It's there waiting for us because we're just now heirs. We're not uh, inheritors yet of that promise. So it's reserved for us, but also the security of us as individuals. We're kept securely. That's a, a, a military phrase by a garrison of God's might and power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last times. And so God has it prepared. It's not fully revealed now because he's working and calling out and over these, you know, uh, generations of time, he has been selecting and building his church and calling us. But one time that's going to be revealed. Just as Christ's coming is going to be revealed and his kingdom set up in the fullness and all of the things that aggravate us and the scenarios politically, and I don't want to go there today, but all of the current things that just aggravate us and you just don't even want to watch the news anymore, but we know we need to be aware of current events. We get so aggravated and frustrated that men that can't see, one day that's all going to be corrected in God's kingdom and, and uh, his salvation, and we as the revealed glorified sons of God are going to be able to uh, do something about it. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness, though manifold temptations. And it goes on and on. So we know 
that we have faith and believe that right now it's, it's, it's not very good. But one day, thank God, it's going to be corrected and improved. And what a wonderful, glorious time that's going to be ahead. Uh, go on to 1 Peter 4, uh, the... Um, fifth verse here, First Peter, the fourth chapter. He's talking about here uh, a mix of the Gentiles and Israel of converted and unconverted. Uh, verse four, they think it's strange that we don't run with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. So a lot of times we are misunderstood by the world and former employees and family and friends and society. Uh, like we heard even earlier, they don't understand the church and so persecution and opposition and difficulty and can't just understand why we are the way we are as Christians. Verse 5, this is what uh, I want to come to. Who shall give account? Who? That is everyone. That is unconverted and converted. Everybody is going to have to give an account. Everybody. Every knee shall bow and confess. Everyone is going to say, whether they believe it or not, they're going to have to confess it and then deal with their eternal destiny afterward, that God is God and Christ is Christ, who shall give an account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. And so we're all going to have to give an account. Every human being is going to have to give an account at some time in their life to God. And he's ready. He's ready, prepared to make that decision. But he's holding off on some of it until everything falls into the time frame and the plan that he has set up for, for his will and his purpose. And he set up a time frame for certain things to occur at certain times. So we trust in that and we appreciate that God is ready. You know, he's just not going to put it off. He's ready to judge, to make that determination. Those that... Uh, are going to be uh, submissive to that judgment or unsubmissive, whatever. They're going to, uh, everyone have to give an answer to God. Now, if salvation is ready to be revealed, if the judgment is ready to be executed, what becomes of us but to be ready also? Be ready. Be prepared. And that's hard to do. You know, there are a lot of things that go on in life and we think we just can't be fully prepared for everything. We can't have enough money in the bank to cover every disaster. We can't have everyone have a storm shelter to, to protect us from the storm. We can't have all kinds of uh, provisions made to set up for hard times and difficult. We can do a lot of this preparation, but there's a way that we can be prepared in spite of that. And we'll talk and we'll see a little more of that as we progress. So sometimes we're not able to do everything physically, uh, materially that we would like to do to be prepared. And so we get uh, some uh, frustrations, some aggravations, and impatience in our life. Let's go back to Luke, the um, 12th chapter. Verse... 40. First, I'm going to read the verses and then maybe a little surrounding commentary here. Be you therefore ready also, for the Son of Man comes at an hour when you think not. Now, some put it off, 
They think they've got it all figured out. But you know, they might not make it to the next Mayan calendar. This, this one ends 2012 December. They didn't have any idea beyond that. So you see, for so many, expecting maybe years, some of us might not make it home today for different reasons. And so that time is uncertain, so we need to be ready also. Now, you can read the, the previous verses about this, about the time of uh, Christ's coming and accountability and the judgment. So I ask us, are we ready? Are we ready now? Have we made as much preparation for that inevitable time? Now, it might be put off for a time, but are we ready now? Because the Son of Man comes at a time when we may not have any more time to do any more preparation. So are we as prepared and as ready as much as possible now? Matthew 25th chapter. Now, this is a parable that we're all familiar with, so I'm not going to go through this parable here of the uh, ten virgins, but let's just read in verse 10. And... While they went to buy, that's those that didn't have enough. Their lamp was going out and the alarm was giving. He's coming. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage. And the door was shut. And we know the others came later and it was too late. The door was shut. How many of us can say... The door is open to me right now. I think the majority of us, because I'm talking to the choir today, talking to most of us who are believers and who've made those decisions and commitments. But as ready as we are, can we be more ready? Uh, you know, the husband's in the car waiting, and is running, and the wife is in getting ready. Or the woman is driving, she's in the car, and the husband's in <laughs> getting readier, if that's a word, readier. <laughs> more ready. Primping, you know. Uh, you know, we, we use this. Uh, I'm getting ready for work. I'm getting ready to go shopping. Uh, what do you do when you get ready to go to work? Well, you, you comb your hair and put on your clothes and take a shower and do whatever you need. And so you get there early, so you're there on time. So you, you make preparations. What do you do when we go shopping? Just suddenly just go shopping? like some people do, or do we get ready, prepare for that? So how many of us are ready right now if we had that separation and calling right now would go in and the door wouldn't be shut on us, we wouldn't have to go uh, and make other uh, arrangements and preparation? Well, we can think about that and the... Uh, surrounding uh, verses there of that parable I won't go into because we've gone to that um, uh, before I'll just say here verse 13 watch therefore for you know not neither the day nor the hour wherein the son of man comes so we don't know exactly when we can expect maybe in a few years or, or this time or we see certain things happening but we don't know the day or the hour so we need to be ready for when that inevitable time comes. 
and make as much preparation as possible. Mark, the 14th chapter. I'm just kind of hammering the same point over and over and over here today to stress this uh, that's covered in so many different points of view in so many different uh, scriptures. Now some are uh, maybe not as applicable. They're in personal relations one with another and, and other scenarios that were going on. But Mark 14 verse 38. Watch you and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready but the flesh is weak. Now right now all my life I've learned this phrase, the spirit is ready, but the flesh is willing, right? But that's not what he said here. In the English, it's the flesh is weak. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. Now, the word weak and willing are the same. So if you get a different translation, you go about the Greek, same word. So uh, it just happened that in our King James, the word is translated here, weak. And in other translations, they translate the word willing, which is acceptable. So either way, the flesh, we, we're willing to do it. But sometimes we can't. And, and the reason for this is the scenario that he was there at his last night and he came uh, to the garden there with uh, Simon and, and John and a few other disciples and he went to pray and he came back and they were sleeping. In verse 37, Simon, sleepy you? Couldn't you just watch one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready. Now, what does he mean by this? The spirit of God or the spirit of God that's in man, the human spirit, the, the spirit that God has given us. We want to do certain things. We desire to do certain things, but oh, it's so hard. We're so sleepy. We're so tired. We're just so easy. It's just, it's better to crash and be a couch potato than to get up and go mow the yard or do something that needs to be done, to pray or to, see, it was easier for Peter to sleep than to pray. And it's difficult for us sometimes to do those spiritual things. We, we're willing to do that, but it's just a conflict. It just sometimes doesn't get done. Now, if we're able to really do the spiritual things in our life, brethren, really to pray and study and keep those things up, we're doing wonderful. That's marvelous if we can do that. But for most of us, many of us, it's, we know it's a struggle and trial, and sometimes we put off when we shouldn't, and then we have to... Uh, come back because of some difficulty that happens and try to make up for it and it's very difficult. Back in Ecclesiastes, the Old Testament again and chapter 5 1, 2 now you've probably noticed the message today is a little more uh, serious, a little more pointed I, don't, I didn't prepare a lot of humor and a lot of jokes today, brethren, because uh, this is a kind of a heavy message and uh, meant to self-included for analysis and for consideration. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1. Keep your foot when you go to the house of God and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools 
For they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with your mouth. Let not your heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven and you're upon the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Now, what is it? Let's consider this just a few minutes here. Uh, keep your foot when you go to the house of God. The foot is uh, a metaphor here, an illustration example of a motivation or a motive. You know, we walk on our feet. And so, as we're coming to church, as we're coming to the house of God, we consider this the house of God. As we're coming to a spiritual relationship with God, we want to think carefully and seriously about coming to worship, to praise God, to fellowship, to be with God in God's holy presence, a special, a special outpouring in a presence where two or three are gathered in, in my name. He said, I'm there. Now, he can be present with us wherever we are, but there's a special blessing when we come before him in holy worship and praise. And so we like to be uh, thinking about this on the way and be ready to hear, be more ready to hear than to just to be filled with a lot of, listen, sacrifice of fools, evil, rash talking, hasty to utter things before God. You know, the speakers, it's, it's, a, it's a fearful thing and concerning to know that we're supposed to be speaking God's word. And the inspiration that he inspires us during the week or whenever preparation, a few hours or whenever, to inspire us or here to say what God wants us to say. And so we are cognizant of that and, and we, those who speak feel how inadequate we are to adequately convey, convey what God is uh, wanting to say to us in the right way. And so I guess what I get out of this is I like to come to services and, and quietness and worship and praise God and um, enjoy the fellowship and enjoy the meal if there is and get a spiritual benefit rather than it's not a place that I come for entertainment or for wild, loud, loud uh, rankous uh, conversation or hilarity. Now we all have some humor, we have some fun times, we enjoy the Sabbath, we're supposed to enjoy we're supposed to rejoice and be filled with God's spirit. But right now, let's be asking ourselves, why do we come here? Why do we go to the house of God on the Sabbath? What is our motive and our purpose? What is our feet? And then when we think about this uh, and the speakers and the listeners, you know, it isn't it to glorify God and to, and to benefit from it rather than just a foolish time of hilarity and entertainment. Okay, in um, Psalms, the 86th chapter, Psalm 86, verse 5. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon you. What a wonderful thing to know about God that he is truly ready to forgive. He's just there. Remember uh, the many illustrations in the scriptures like the 
the two sons and the father that's eagerly welcoming the son that's uh, the elder son that went away and wasted his substance and how the father was right there to welcome him back and God is that God is ready uh, what is what is the definition here let me go back ready is fit for immediate use prompt in perception prompt in performance or action willing inclined God is eager to forgive us to pardon us if we would just call on him and ask him and you know he will forgive everyone that asks that are truly repentant that call up on him let's go to Second Corinthians. The ninth chapter. I'm going to read all of the uh, first seven verses here. For as touching the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. For I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has provoked very many. Now, we know where... Greece was Athens, and then west of Athens was Corinth, and then north of Corinth was Achaia, portion of Greece, and then right on north of that was the area of Macedonia. So uh, they had a reputation for being ready a year ago. Your zeal has provoked very many. Yet have I sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf that as I said, you may be ready. Lest happily, if they of Macedonia come upon me, come with me and find you unprepared, we, that we say not ye, should be ashamed in this same confident boasting. Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would not go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty, whereof you had noticed before that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not as of covetousness. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Every man according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so there was a need for the brethren in Jerusalem and so what happened, Paul was delegating uh, different ones to uh, gather some fruit and gather up some food and, and some assistance. And probably there was some money and assistance for those poor brethren. And they, this was going on for about a year. Now, uh, Paul is encouraging them, don't wait till the last minute. Lest it seem like this won't be from your willing bountiness, but it would be a covetousness on the part of the 
of others who are recipients of this, that they would be asking immediately uh, from the wrong motive, but to be careful. Now, let me say this. We've had quite a few in the congregation here who have very generously uh, supported our food pantry that we have uh, for assistance in the uh, area that we give out food to anyone that needs members or non-members. And we get a lot of requests. And as you know, we go through quite a bit of food. And so I've, uh, I've been pleased over the years that we've had some that are very just bring in cases of stuff and, uh, for our little pantry area back there. And we, we try to distribute that out. Now, let me just take one minute here because I'm going to say this because in the future I won't always be the pastor here. There will be someone else that will be functioning as the uh, elder or the pastor of the congregation here at some time. And that person is going to have to make a lot of decisions and get cussed out sometimes on the telephone. Because on behalf of you and our decisions we've made, and I've explained this before, but just for some of you might know that we have tried to be very careful uh, to those that we know that have legitimate needs. We give a lot of money and we help with thousands and multiple thousands of dollars each year for assistance. But strangers that we don't know, we offer food from our pantry, non-perishable food items. Most of them don't want it. Most of them uh, get aggravated uh, when they want money and we can't give money because we don't know, we can't control the use of that money. I don't think you want me to take your tithes and offerings and give to somebody several hundred dollars so they can go out and buy drugs or alcohol or whatever it is they're going to do illicitly. Do you want me to do that? No, I don't think we want to. Else, you would be doing it directly. And so we individually, we make those decisions. We help. In addition to what the church is doing, sometimes we know we get tapped, we get hit here, we have to make that decision. Am I going to give help or assistance or whatever? Now, the reason I say this is because there is a need for assistance from people who need food legitimately and honestly, and we provide that. What we can't and what we don't know many times is a legitimate, honest need for funds or money. Now, some may have and some may not, but I'll tell you this. When I start asking, and if you go right now, if you were to go to apply, and I don't know this, but uh, I, I say, I suppose if you go to apply for food stamps, you probably have to fill out an application and information and tell Social Security who and what, and your financial status and where you work and where you live and who you are and, and where you spent the night last night in jail or at home or wherever and uh, answer some questions. So when I start asking uh, a few questions uh, that you get hung up on or uh, get lies like uh, who is your family? I don't have any family. Who are your friends? I don't have any friends. Uh, well, who knows about who other have you requested get it? I'm not getting from anybody. I just need some monies. Pay my motel bill over here. You get a lot of requests to pay motel bills. And uh, I've called motel managers back and asked them to verify. No, I don't think they need, I don't think, they're just in confidence, because they're getting monies and they're paid and there's, uh, they, they describe who's there in the room. And uh, so even happened this week, got hung up on and the guy called me back and then he kind of, and I said, sir, you're the one that called me asking for uh, help, and we have food if you want. And I told you about the one lady uh, a couple of months ago that cussed me out. She called me up three or four times, and another lady called me five, five times because she was working at churches. And I told her, ma'am, I've already talked to you and explained everything to you before that we have 
food that will deliver if you need non-perishable food. But we don't have any funds to help you in uh, to pay your motel bill. Well, I'm not in the motel now. So uh, at least she got out of that situation. I don't know where she is now. She hasn't called me back. I'm saying this. How would you like to handle those calls? Of all the things that I do, brother, that is probably one of the hardest and most aggravating and difficult because I, tr I try to help and do right and to give out and, and in your name and, and for that, but it's, when I have to say no, it just hurts me and troubles me. And uh, so that is, um, I guess all I want to say on this, but um, those who are contributing to our food pantry, a big thanks. Those who would like to, just a few items, you know, uh, some non-perishable items would be acceptable and used. Most people use tissue paper, Kleenex, toothbrushes, toothpaste, you know, or a denture cleaner or whatever. <laughs> and uh, canned goods or pack packaged goods that are, don't get, don't, don't, please don't bring any crushed out of date stuff. Don't, don't bring any cast off that we want to keep it fresh and clean and, and give to someone. I had someone call me and I, I didn't realize as I bundled it up. Uh, this package of stuff was out of date, and I apologized for it, and I hadn't uh, checked that, so I'm, I'm trying to watch that uh, more carefully. So, uh, okay, in uh, Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, seventeen, nineteen. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. That they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. So the things that we're willing to do to, to, to distribute and to contribute and help other people, God is taking a record. He's writing down his recording angel or however he's doing that. And he's keeping books and accounts. And we always want our account to be on the positive ledger side. So when we stand before him and the books are opened, the books of judgment and the book of life is opened, and that recording that's there of us, and they go down through it, that all the negative things will be erased and forgiven and covered by the blood of Christ and only be good things in our column. So we want in our positive column as much good to be there as possible. And one of the ways is to distribute and to help those who have a need. That doesn't mean necessarily to bring it to our food pantry, but if, you, if we know someone who has a need and we can verify that it is a legitimate need and we have to use wisdom, uh, we can't just, you know, uh, we're not expect to, if somebody doesn't work, they shouldn't eat. Isn't that a principle in the Bible? They, you know, they be productive and be wise stewards, and we want to make sure as much as possible. Now, we can't control everything, and we don't always know, and because there's so much of this in the Bible, I know we've been burned, and we've been helped. Now, the Good Samaritan, we want to remember this. He was very clearly wounded in need. He was, had a, uh, Handicap, very clear that needed physical help. And the guy came by, I mean, the, the, the man that was in the way, and the Good Samaritan that came by and helped him and said, you know, whatever he has need of, take care of, and I'll pay more. So there was a real clear need that was verifiable. 
The others passed by and they ignored that. But this was a very clear need. So as much as possible, we need to make sure it's, it's really a clear need. And then we can provide that help in a clear conscience. Sometimes we get stung and we get burned and we know. You know, when we do it, we shouldn't, but we do it anyway. In Second uh, Timothy, the fourth chapter. I'm just curious. Uh, I'm just thinking about this. How many of us experienced what I've been talking about here in life? How many of us? Besides just myself, how many of us are in that quandary sometimes about helping people? Okay. It is a difficulty, is it, sometimes? We want to do right. We want to do good things. But if we hold back, then we, you know, fault ourselves and condemn ourselves and say, you know, and then we're foolish and we give out. And so it's, it is quite a, a quandary. Well, I'm, I'm pleased to see that more affected in the same way that I am. You know, uh, looks like the majority, just about everyone here, was holding up your hand on that. Uh, let's see, in Second Timothy, the fourth chapter, verse 6 through 8, Paul said, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. Now, he's writing this in the late 60s. So he knew that his death was uh, imminent, was coming, approaching. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. So that's to us, all of us be able to receive that crown of life and to rejoice along with Paul and to be with Christ and to be there. How many of us are ready? Physically, we want to prolong our life, don't we? We want to be, you know, with our family and our wife and our children and provide and we want to live in this life as long as possible. Um, does anyone want to go sooner than, <laughs> than that? No, we want to stay here as long as possible. That's physically. Yet we're torn because spiritually, we want to depart and be with the Lord, don't we? We want to be eternal, a spirit being. So we have to, as long as we're in this flesh, we've got to endure. We've got to keep, keep motivating and keep doing and keep struggling and overcoming and doing what's right. And we have that great desire to, to, to depart, to get out of this flesh and to be with the Lord. But it comes back, Paul was ready for whenever that death came. And in asking the same thing of ourselves, how many, again, of us are ready at that particular time? Whenever that occurs, to be ready then as much as possible. John, the seventh chapter. I have a couple of more verses here we'll be concluding today. John, the seventh chapter, and verse 6. Jesus said unto them, My time is not yet come. This was the Feast of Tabernacles, and he was uh, telling his uh, brethren and family and, and disciples to go on up to the feast. I'll, I'll be up there a little later. And uh, 
Verse 5, For neither did his brethren believe in him. Then Jesus said unto them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. Jesus said exactly what I've been saying since I came up here and hinting at. Our time is right, almost always ready at the time for our death. His was going to be off for a while because he had to accomplish certain things with God's plan and purpose. There were certain things in his life that had to occur and had to take place. And uh, he was uh, encouraging them to be ready because he wanted to leave this with every one of us. Our time might be a lot sooner and quicker than when we would like it to be. So we need to be prepared. We need to be as ready as possible. Now, what does it mean to be? Let's go to Revelation, the 19th chapter. And verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready now this is talking in chapter 19 here about the return of Christ and all the praising and the great uh, multitudes and the crowd that was in heaven and the great rejoicing that all of those beings at the throne of God were rejoicing at this time that's future ahead of us time that we look forward to we're we're engaged to Christ now. We're the fiancé. We're to be married. We're to be the bride, the Christ, the woman, the church. The church is a feminine woman. And Israel sometimes is likened in the history, you know, as a woman. Sometimes as a man because it was a son, the son of, of God, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the 12 tribes of Israel and uh, Israel being a man. And so Israel sometimes in the scriptures is likened to a male, but the church is likened to a female. And we are engaged. We're not married yet. We're engaged to Christ. And that great marriage supper is going to take place at some time in the future. How excited are we about that? That's going to be a wonderful experience of being married to Christ. And to be his bride and to be uh, in that relationship with him forever and ever and ever. Now, here, here's the question. It says, the last phrase says, And his wife has made herself ready. How are we making ourselves ready? How does, how does a bride make herself ready for the wedding? How? You're thinking, uh, us men, we, we can try to imagine how a woman is thinking as she is preparing for that wedding with excitement, with joy, with anticipation, uh, preparing in her life, homemaking, cooking, uh, Knowing and being able to work and able to uh, uh, be positive and to be uh, godly and to be righteous and to be holy and to be pure. Uh, I assume that women are thinking, aren't they women thinking along those lines? And then their wedding attire, what am I going to? And they spend a lot of time thinking about the wedding dress here and her was, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Okay, 
I'm going to say something very brutal right now and very plain. You know what a slut is? What is she thinking in her marriage that's approaching? How is she preparing for that wedding? We're not that way, are we? We're preparing as a righteous bride of Christ. It's very quiet right now. It's very serious, isn't it? And I include myself in all of this and that preparation as a bride of Christ that we need to be righteous. What is righteousness? Keeping the commandments. How diligently are we in keeping the commandments of God? All ten of his commandments. Measuring up to his standard of ideal. What does Christ want his bride to be like? What does any man want his bride to be like? in the wedding, a great church wedding, a great with multitudes around and all the heavenly hosts and that great wedding. And Christ is excited looking forward to that and we're looking forward to that. And how are we preparing ourselves for that wedding, for that marriage? Well, I'm closing now. We've seen God is good and he's ready to do a lot of things. He's ready, he's prepared. He's encouraged us throughout the scriptures to be ready and to be prepared. And we're expected to be prepared and ready for that inevitable. Now, we can only do so much physical preparation and planning in this life uh, because frustrations and aggravations occur. And so if we're ready spiritually, then we can deal with those, can't we? We may not have enough money. If we lose our house, and, I, and oh, I just, it, it pains me when I see people on the news that have lost their home in a tornado or in a fire or family members, and they've gone through or, or tragedies of some kind. You just, you, it's every day of the hundreds of thousands of tragedies that we see, only a few of them and a few percentage of them. And we thank God every day that we have not been a, experienced that or had to go through that, but we know that it may catch up with us. Time and chance may happen. And we may not have all the physical preparation to deal with it, but spiritually, if we are emotionally and spiritually prepared and trusting in God, like we were hearing in the first message, like Daniel, regardless of whatever is coming on our life, if we're believing and trusting in Him, then we will be able to be uh, ready. And let me read the definition again as we close here for that I wrote down from our dictionary. Ready. Fit for immediate use. Prompt in perception. Prompt in performance or action. Willing. Inclined. At hand. Convenient. On the point or on the brink to follow up. Are we ready?